0: This is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update Podcast. This is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update Video and Podcast. Today, we welcome back Dr. Peter Hotez, Dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine and co-director of the Texas Children's Hospital for Vaccine Development in Houston to learn about his new COVID vaccine and how it fits into our global pandemic response. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Uh, Dr. Hotez, it's great to see you again. And first, I wanna say congratulations. You were recently the recipient of the AMA's Scientific Achievement Award, uh, which was presented just this past weekend at the Texas Medical Association's Winter Conference. It's so well deserved for all your leadership and uh, throughout this pandemic and beyond. I like to think it had a little bit uh, to do with the COVID nineteen update bump, uh, but probably not. Um,
1: I'm sure it did, Todd. You know, I, I was uh, you know thrilled to receive it, and it's I really feel very. Fortunate to be honored by the American Medical Association. You know, the AMA has stepped up big time during this COVID-19 pandemic, and you've been great about giving me a voice uh, during this time, so it has special meaning to be honored by the AMA for our work in COVID-19 vaccines and, and science communication as well.
0: Well, it's an honor to have talked with you so many times over the past couple of years, and speaking of scientific achievement and vaccines, um, today we're going to talk about uh, your latest achievement, the COVID vaccine that you've been developing uh, for years was recently authorized for use in India and it's getting a lot of attention and even becoming uh, being called a game changer in the pandemic. Let's talk about the gap that this vaccine fills and what authorization has meant for India.
1: Well, you know, Todd, we need uh, vaccines for global health. You know, we have 9 billion people in the low and I'm sorry, 3 billion people that need 9 billion doses, 6 to 9 billion doses in the low and middle income countries of Africa, Asia and Latin America. And the question is, where do those doses come from if we do not have sufficient amount of mRNA or adenovirus vectored vaccines? So we uh, began working on coronavirus vaccines about a decade ago, and I say we. Um, our Texas Children's uh, Center for Vaccine Development is co-headed by myself and my science partner for the last 20 years, Dr. Mary Elena Patazzi, and and we've been mainly focusing on parasitic disease vaccines for the poor, but also began working on coronavirus vaccines because they were orphaned as well and developed vaccines for SARS and MERS. And that's how we showed that the spike protein is a target of, of vaccination, how to deliver the spike protein-induced virus-neutralizing antibody. And then, when the COVID nineteen sequence came along in January, about two years ago, in January of 2020, we realized that we could pivot to a COVID nineteen vaccine and developed it, um, and you know used our experience over the over the previous decade to hit the ground running. And it was a vaccine that looks, in many respects, as good as any of the others. But the difference is, it's a technology that's been around several decades because it's a similar yeast fermentation fermentation technology to make a vegan vaccine. There's no human cells or animal cells or animal protein um, that's used to make the recombinant hepatitis B vaccine. So and people have been giving it to their kids, the hepatitis B vaccine for decades. And the great thing about that is it's that technology is in place locally and, and, and by vaccine producers in Bangladesh and, and Vietnam and Thailand and you know, you name it, uh, China and India and Indonesia and Brazil. So if you really want to make a vaccine for global health, COVID-19, that's the technology to use. And and now we've made it, we've licensed it and helping the co-development to four vaccine producers biologically in India, BioPharma in Indonesia, Incepta in Bangladesh, and Immunity Bio, which is working to build capacity in South Africa and Botswana bioe which is one of the india's big vaccine producers is the furthest along they've got 250 million doses already made with plans to make 140 million doses a month until they get to a billion and um and they could go on from there and, and it was just released for emergency use authorization at the end of last year in december 28th uh, 2021 so we're hitting the ground running now. Uh, so, to start vaccinating India now in discussions with WHO, the World Health Organization for Emergency Use Listing, and then Indonesia and the others will follow. So, pretty exciting to help make a difference in filling this global equity gap.
0: That is exciting. And, you know, I was always uh, so interested when you first mentioned this story a few segments uh, before how long you've been working on this. Uh, You know, it was such a great answer to folks who were saying like, this was kind of an, you know, an overnight development. It's not, it's, you know, decades in the making. My my question for you is, given the kind of running start that you had with this and established uh, kind of technology, so to speak, why why didn't it kind of catch on in the U.S. uh, first?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. We often ask ourselves is that because we really were cut out of the whole Operation Warp Speed program. They were really not very interested. They well one, we we're not a pharma company, so I think they didn't have they didn't you know understand our role and and how we could help in vaccine development and second, they wanted you know they were so focused on speed and innovation you know that you use a brand new technology like mRNA without the understanding that even though take make protein takes a little longer than mRNA, we make it up at the back end because we can hit the ground running accelerating a vaccine for the world, whereas it's going to take years to learn how to scale mRNA. So, I think that was a a failing of Operation Warp Speed. And we're paying the price for it because Delta arose out of an unvaccinated population in India at the beginning of 2021, Omicron out of an unvaccinated population out of Southern Africa at the end of last year. So Mother Nature's not being coy. She's telling us what she's going to do. She's going to, as long as we fail to vaccinate the global South, meaning the low and middle income countries of the world, she's going to continue to throw terrible variants of concerns at us until we finally figure out how to vaccinate the world. And Hopefully now ours can come in on that front.
0: Dr. Hotes, what, what do you know about effectiveness, uh, effectiveness in terms of variants like Delta and Omicron?
1: Well, in terms of virus neutralizing antibody, it's giving, uh, you know, really high levels and it's holding up really well versus delta and, and beta. And we're just now looking at the Omicron data, and I think it's going to hold up against that as well. And so that's one of the advantages. Not only is it no limit to the amount you could scale, Simple refrigeration in terms of how you store it, so no freezer chain requirement. In fact, there's a lot of history and experience with it. One of the best safety profiles of any of the COVID vaccines because it's similar to the hepatitis B vaccine and how it's made, so similar safety profile and holding up really well against the variants. You know, if you go down the checklist, it really checks all the boxes for what you want out of a global health vaccine. And we think we could do this for two dollars, around two dollars a dose. So the least expensive of all of them. So we're quite excited to, that it can have that kind of uh, impact on on on, dis- on diseases of the poor.
0: And that that is huge impact. And as you you said before, until we make progress in these uh, under vaccinated areas, I think I read in an article uh, about you this morning that you know we're over sixty percent fully vaccinated here in the U.S., uh, but under ten percent. In a lot of these areas. So there's really a long way to go to basically safeguard which you know what could be another set of variants, so to speak.
1: Well, as I've been saying to my colleagues, including the World Health Organization, you know, there's another variant of concern brewing across the world's low and middle income countries as we're right now. And and we've got about six months to really scale up vaccinations for the world to forestall that or prevent it from happening. And that has to be all hands on deck for that. You know, the Biden administration announced that they're donating 400 million doses today, which is OK. But, but you know, we're we're about to match that, um, so, you know, from our Texas Children's Center for Vaccine Development. So there seems to be this lack of awareness of the scale required. You know, when you're talking about a billion people in Africa, a billion in Latin America and the Caribbean, a billion in the smaller, low income uh, Southeast Asian countries, 3 billion people to multiply that times two or three, six to 9 billion doses. That's where we have to get to. And um, so, you know, 100 million there, 100 million, there's not enough. You need vaccines like ours that you can actually produce at the level of the billions.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, hey, there is this other option out there now um, that has all these advantages that you're pointing out. Uh, So hopefully that will get the traction that you're looking for. I mean, we're all hoping at some point to move, at least at this point, out of the uh, post into the post Omicron world. Um, I'm curious, you know, as you're thinking about it, you know, what this world looks like. Um, You know, we see so much in terms of moving from pandemic to endemic, a lot of information out there, you know. If you're successful in what you're doing right now, do we have a chance of getting there?
1: I think so. I think Omicron is clearly starting to go down now in New York and Washington, and hopefully it'll continue in that same uh, steep deceleration as it as just as it went up, it'll come down as quickly, and we'll see if that happens globally. And then we've got a few-month window period where um, we start going back to cafes and restaurants and, and movies. But, you know, the... His history and experience tells us that we should expect another big variant of concern in the summer across Texas and the southern states, unless we actually can preempt it by vaccinating all the world's low and middle income countries. And that's got to be where the big push should, should focus. On.
0: For those that are actually watching this video, you can see the look of dread on my face when I think about uh, that for the summer. Uh, but so important, as you're pointing out, uh, to head these off. We've got to be on the vaccination uh, front. I'm curious, uh, I've read some of the, you know, your statements about immunity uh, and about what we can expect from people who get uh, Omicron and move through that, whether, you know, breakthrough case, um, you know, what do we, what do we know about uh, where we're heading on that front? What can we expect for people that have had Omicron in terms of herd immunity or future immunity? You read stuff like super immunity, which I was hoping to have, but uh, what, what what is the truth there? Well,
1: I think if you've been infected before and vaccinated, I think you'll have pretty strong and durable immunity. And that may also be the case if you've been vaccinated and had some breakthrough infection. I think you know, with immunological memory as it is and broadening of epitopes, you may be in good shape. But I think for individuals who've only gotten Omicron recovered and not vaccinated on top of it, I do not think the immunity is going to be very durable at all. You know, it could resemble one of the upper respiratory coronavirus infections, um, which, does, which has only very short-term immunity. So that's what I'm worried about is there's too much complacency. There's a lot of happy talk saying that um, Omicron is going to be the end game, because then it's going to induce herd immunity, and that's that's finally how all this ends. Uh, I don't see it that way. I don't think the uh, protection afforded by Omicron infection is going to be all that durable, and we're going to be vulnerable yet again. Now, again, not consensus in the scientific community, but I think that's where it's going to go.
0: Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of confusion, I think, from Uh, you know, people saying it's, uh, quote, less serious. But when you look at the math, I just saw, you know, we've exceeded uh, deaths, daily deaths, uh, relative to Delta, which is, you know, a big surprise. This is, it is very serious.
1: Well, with so many people getting infected, even though on an average basis, a per person basis, it's not as severe, there's still enough severe cases that we're up over 2000 deaths a day once again. And uh, you know, headed towards 900,000 American deaths pretty soon. So uh, again, all, most of the, almost all of those preventable for people who are unvaccinated.
0: Medicine doesn't stand still. And at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash Moving medicine. Are you, you know, you've been constantly dealing with misinformation and being a leading voice in correcting that. You know, do you, are you still facing that kind of tsunami of misinformation out there?
1: Oh, yeah, it's getting worse. And, you know, it's, it's now been so linked to far right wing extremism in this country. I mean, you even had a big anti-vaccine rally in Washington over last weekend. And, and it was reported the proud boys were there, you know, so that that's where it's gone now. It's, it's now become, uh, fully adopted by far right wing extremists. and, And that's been an evolving or devolving story for the last, uh, decade. And, and now you're seeing it with even far right members of Congress and, and, uh, and podcasters and things like that. So it's gotten to be very rough, uh, rough waters. And I don't know how we start to dial it all back, but it's going to be absolutely critical for the health and safety of our country. Because I'm worried this anti-vaccine movement is going to spill over not only from COVID, but into childhood vaccinations, for HPV vaccinations, for measles vaccinations, and we'll know because with you know with measles. Breakthrough measles is pretty quick to show up if you've got a decline in vaccinations. That's a good bellwether, so we'll know that soon enough. Because historically, when we've had measles epidemics in this country, it was late winter, early spring. So I'm kind of holding my breath for March and April to see what, what that's like.
0: Well, last question: We've talked a lot about the uh, the global uh, front here. Let's uh, turn to kind of the local issue. Any advice? Uh, you can give to physicians to help play a bigger role in helping us get out of this pandemic once and for all?
1: Well, I think, you know, providing sound vaccine advice. And, you know, right now, unfortunately, the Centers for Disease Control is still calling two doses full vaccination. And it's not. I mean, we need to get everybody triply immunized if we're going to weather new variants, because the double vaccination is not doing well versus Omicron in terms of only 57% protection versus hospitalization, 38% protection against ER visits. If you get COVID, much better if you get three doses, 90 and 82%. So making certain that your patients have three vaccine doses, making sure your patient's kids are vaccinated, or if you're a pediatrician, making sure your patients are, are vaccinated. If you're an obstetrician, making sure you're uh, your patient who's pregnant is, is vaccinated. That's really going to be important as well. And remind people that if they've been infected and recovered but not vaccinated, they're still very vulnerable to severe Omicron infection.
0: Absolutely. Dr. Hotez, thank you so much for being here with us today. And again, congratulations on your award. That's it for today's COVID-19 update. We'll be back with another segment soon. For updated resources on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Thanks for joining us and please take care. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts.